Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. We're so excited to be presenting our first interview to you. Today, we're going to be interviewing Stephanie Reed. She has gone through a tremendous amount of grief, and she's going to be going through her personal story and things that she did in order to help herself recover from that grief. Stephanie is such a dear friend of ours, and we are so thankful to be able to do this interview with her. She has such an incredible story, and we want to make sure that you hear it in its entirety. So we're going to break this into several different episodes, and they're going to be a little longer. So join us as we jump into part one with Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in our last podcast, we were talking about just the basics of grief, and we introduced to our listeners um, just the very, very basics. So Today, we want you to just kind of share your story and hear your perspective on grief and what your experience has been. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be able to talk to you guys on your podcast and also to um, hopefully give some insight as to what my life looks like to hopefully help somebody else who is also going through something similar. Uh, My story is um, I met my husband, Steve. Vasquez when we were both teachers at Corona High School. I taught English and he taught math. And then when we got married, we uh, worked really hard to get out of debt. And we were able to do our Dave Ramsey debt-free scream. (laughs) And we were super excited about that. And then we focused on trying to um, get a house. And once we got that, we knew that we wanted a family. We knew we wanted a family from the very beginning, but I was not able to get pregnant. And so we had tried for three years and nothing was really happening. So I decided um, to talk to Steve about infertility things and even adoption. And Steve said that he didn't want to go through adoption quite yet um, until we exhausted some other things that we could look into because he wanted a child to be in our likeness. And um, so for me, a lot of um, hope that was lost. And I wasn't sure if we were ever going to be able to conceive. So we ended up doing infertility treatments um, for about a year and nothing was happening. So um, every month I would find out I was not pregnant and that was a huge huge burden, a huge load to carry because it's my fault. And, um, it was not Steve's fault. Um, he was great. We had him tested and everything was great over there. They couldn't exactly figure out the reason why I couldn't get pregnant because everything seemed like it should have been lining up the way it needed to be. Um, and it just wasn't, that was really difficult, but Steve is always very supportive and loving toward that. After a year, it's, pretty exhausting having to go through that emotionally, but also I had to inject myself with different hormones and things like that. So um, you have to use needles to put in your abdomen to inject the hormones. And that was also painful. And so after a year, I told him, I'm just really tired of this. It's really hard. Um, After the first two times that it didn't work and they said that it should, um, 
he said, well, let's just keep going because our insurance does pay for it for a year. So we did that. And that was just the, they call it IUI, which is like artificial insemination. So with that, after one full year of it not working, um, we decided to explore in vitro fertilization. And so we did IVF and that was very difficult as well. Through IVF, you have to use a lot more medication, a lot more hormones that you're injecting into your body. And there's all these different times. Everything is very scheduled. You have to make sure that you're giving your body certain amounts of hormones. I had a giant box delivered to me in the mail um, <clears throat> with all of my medication that I had to take. And I had to carry around a, a needle, a syringe, and the medication with me if I was going to be out at a certain time. Um, so I felt really tied to that. It was very difficult. Um, I also had to carry like a sharps disposal container with me as well, because some places do not have sharps disposals. And it made me really empathize with people who do have to do things like that for diabetes and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I had to sometimes, okay, it's time I have to go to the bathroom. If I'm even having a meeting with a client when I was doing wedding flowers, had to go to the public restroom <laughs> and uh, bring all my sanitary alcohol wipes and sanitize the whole area. And then, yeah, give my injection in the restroom and um, it feels very alone and um, very hard and it, it hurts <laughs> uh, physically. But so after doing that for a little while, then your body is ready. And what we're doing through all of the hormones is you are making as many eggs come out as possible in both sides of your ovaries. So then the doctor goes in and retrieves the eggs. And with that, we, we had a conversation before, cause there's a lot of paperwork that you have to sign because you can only do two at a time if you want, or you can do, let's get as many as possible to make as many embryos as possible. And that is the cheaper way because you're only going in one time versus multiple times. You're getting your body ready only one time versus getting your body ready multiple times. So Steve and I looked at each other and he said, let's have 10 babies. I said, all right, let's go. So when we decided on that, we said to the doctor, okay, let's make as many embryos as possible. If we need to have 10 babies, we will have 10 babies and the Lord will provide what we need. And so I had to go through the paperwork and cross out the parts where they said uh, to let them expire. And I said, under no circumstances, will you ever let my embryos expire? And then I looked up organizations and things like that, that do take embryo adoption for couples who are going through the same thing and they never were able to conceive. They're able to adopt a healthy embryo. If I had died, that's what I would want to happen. Something like that. With that, we went ahead and um, they were able to pull 15 viable eggs out that were great and healthy. And only 10 of them were able to be fertilized. So we had 10 strong embryos that they froze for us. Then we felt that the Lord was calling us to move to Texas. And that was a strange thing. When we had gotten married, we were praying that we want to do the Lord's will, whatever he wants, we want to do that. And so it, even if it meant moving out of California, then we would choose that. And that was a difficult prayer to pray because both Steve and I both grew up in California. We had a strong family base, his family, my family, um, and then also friends and both of our jobs were here 
it was a little overwhelming, but we knew that we could do it. As nervous as we were, we felt that it was most important to be obedient to the Lord and what his calling was for us. So we had all the frozen embryos and I told Steve, well, I could come back because we were planning on coming back. And then I felt that the Lord was telling me, why are you waiting? And this was uh, beginning of June. And I'm like, I don't know why we're waiting. I guess because we feel uncertain. We don't have a house over there in Texas. Steve is still sure what the future looks like over there. We're not even sure if we 100% want to stay there or if it's the right city. There are a lot of uncertainties where things are more certain where we were currently living. And we had our life set up in California where we were used to a lot of things. And so I talked to Steve about it and I told him, I felt that God was telling me, why are you waiting? And he said, yeah, why are we waiting? <laughs> so then I definitely got confirmation like, okay, now's the time. So it was June, 2014. I decided, okay, let's go do it. So I went in and we had two embryos transferred and that was very sad because the embryologist called me to the back and she said, okay, I have to tell you some good news, but also some bad news. We only do two at a time because we want to make sure that you have a healthy pregnancy and healthy babies. And I said, yeah, that's great. That's what we talked about with the doctor. And we agree with that. Um, and she said, but there are only two left. And I just started crying because I thought, wow, this is our only chance of having kids. <laughs> We can't even go back and try again. <laughs> so what happened was um, she said that as she was defrosting them one by one, she said that they were just dying. Mm -hmm. And so she started, she said, that's not a normal thing. Usually when they see that they're healthy and viable, and that's why they choose to freeze them. It doesn't really happen that when they defrost them, that they're not healthy and viable anymore. So one by one, she was defrosting them one by one, and they just kept dying. And so she said she was nervous because she thought that they were all going to die. And then when she got to the last two, they were healthy and strong. And I was like, okay, through my tears, I was praising the Lord and telling her, okay, well, let's, let's go for it. Let's, let's do this. And, um, that was really hard, <laughs> but, um, but I was so grateful that we had the two so that day she, um, then Steve and I got to see our little embryos, our little babies underneath the microscope and we got to see them and their cells were very rapidly multiplying and dividing and they were healthy and they were strong. And we had two babies right there and Steve got to see that. Mm. And so that was really cool. It was really fascinating to see just the handiwork of God right there in front of us not many people get to see their little embryos before. After a little while, um, I started getting very, very ill, very, very sick, throwing up quite a lot. And I'm like, okay, well, this is probably a good sign that it's like morning sickness. Then the doctor told me that I was indeed pregnant, but with only one. Mm. So that was very heartbreaking and sad. The screen and the monitor showed that there was one little heartbeat there and we were just praising the Lord together. I went to my first appointment and um, I could barely get out of the car and they were having me fill out some paperwork at the counter and I almost fainted on the ground. So then they brought me a chair and I sat on that 
and it was hard to kind of even see the paperwork where I was writing. And so I just was so sick and I had to keep going to throw up in between filling out the paperwork. So I was so grateful to finally see the doctor and he gave me um, two types of medication to help stop with all the throwing up. And he was very sure that this would help. Well, it didn't help. And um, then he said, well, your body just has to keep going through it and it'll, it'll start helping. Steve was so helpful and so kind. Um, he did whatever he could do to make me feel more comfortable, whatever he could do to help me. I always waited to take a shower or do anything big for when he got home because I didn't want to collapse in the shower. I didn't want to fall. He always made sure that he helped me so, so very much. We were getting ready to go see our family, but I also was having trouble with my pregnancy, not just the throwing up part, but I was having to go to the ER probably once a week because I would wake up in a pool of blood mm -hmm. and I thought that I was having a miscarriage every time. Mm -hmm. So finally I told my doctor, if I have a miscarriage, I have a miscarriage. Do I need to go to the ER every single time? It's pretty expensive for us. It's something that's uh, becoming a burden. And he said, um, no, if you feel that you're going to be safe and it's just what it is, then you can make an appointment to come see me in the morning. And so he said, but if the bleeding like never stops, you have to come in because you cannot bleed like that and not have help. So I told him, okay, I understand. So every single time they did an ultrasound, our daughter, Kate, was perfectly healthy and fine and perfectly safe. And we were always praising the Lord. The amazing thing is that Steve got to see her so many times um, in utero and got to see how healthy and how much she was growing. And that was a huge, huge blessing. So after that, my doctor said, if I'm able to stop bleeding for two weeks, he said, then he would say that he felt safe for me to come home during Christmas time to visit my family. So praise the Lord that happened. The bleeding stopped um, probably late November, the bleeding stopped and I was starting to feel well, more well, um, still throwing up here and there, but not, I, I could control it. And so I was able to um, get on a plane and come back home and Steve was able to come out and we're able to spend time with family. We were able to have our baby shower. We had one at my family's house. We had one at his family house. It was such a wonderful celebration and a wonderful time. And so this was like right around Christmas time. We also got to celebrate Christmas with both of our families and it was such a blessing and we just got to spend time with them. We were so grateful that we had that time with our family members, especially because we had been in Texas and we had missed them. Um, Steve drove back and his mom decided that she wanted to go with him so he didn't have to go alone. And then she was going to fly back after they arrived in Texas. And so that was really cool because then they had time to spend together as Steve drove back to Texas. And um, then I flew back after the new year. So now it's 2016 and I arrived in Texas, January 6th. I went to Sam's club the next day. This would be January 7th, 2016. And I was shopping around trying to get some things for his lunch. And then after that, I don't remember really anything. I remember waking up in the hospital 
and I didn't know what day it was and I didn't know what was happening to me and I didn't know why I was in so much pain and I didn't know really if it was like reality it felt very strange and so I had just this really weird feeling and I was kind of coming in and out of like consciousness but it just felt very strange and weird. Like I didn't feel like my mind was completely all there. Um, I did see my mom and I was like, that's weird. I just left my mom. So I was trying to piece things together. So what had happened by this time when I had been trying to figure out what was going on, I was already in the ICU and I had been involved in a major accident. And so fast forward to when I got released, and a lot of time healing, I now know what happened to me. We barely were a mile from our home and we were stopped at a stop sign, getting ready to turn onto the highway. And a car came out of nowhere and the car T-boned us on the driver's side. Steve was driving and I was the passenger. And when the car T-boned us, he hit us about 75 miles an hour or more and was not stopping. So the vehicle kept re-hitting our car, pushing it, pushing it, pushing us down into a ravine. And then eventually the car, as it moved along to the back, it ended up going off and hitting a tree head on. And the person that hit our vehicle, he was perfectly fine. Nothing had happened to him. Steve died right there in the driver's seat and I was in the passenger seat and I also was very pregnant. I don't remember any of this, so I had to piece it all together by talking to paramedics and fire department um, and the people who assisted me on the accident and then also there were a couple of witnesses. I was able to talk to them as well. So also the detectives and things like that, they all helped me piece all of this together because I do not remember any of this. And I actually praise the Lord for that because I believe it would be very, very traumatizing to have the memory of that happening. And earlier that, you know, you were at a store and then you remember waking up in a hospital. And so did you lose memory, not just right at the accident, but some memories just prior to the accident as well? Yes. So I don't even remember being at the store that day. So that whole entire day, it was completely gone from my memory. And so the reason why I know I was at the store getting some items for Steve's lunch is because I went through my text messages. I was trying to see what happened that day because I didn't remember that day. I remember flying home the day prior and pretty much that was it. I didn't know what had even happened that day. For me, I am a person who wants to know all the details. I, I really want to know. I remember things from when I was very, very young, like sometimes two or three or four years old with detail. So to not have an entire day and then few days where I can remember anything, that was also very difficult for me. So that's why I started searching out what what happened and so yeah I was looking through the text messages and um, that's when I found out that I was at the store earlier that that day yeah as you're coming to who broke you the news that Steve had passed away I don't remember how long I was in the hospital 
um, when I started coming to where I started recognizing some people in the room, my mom was coming forward to come talk to me. And there were some other people in the room that I didn't recognize. And then there was a guy that was dressed up and my mom later said that he was the chaplain. And then I saw Steve's parents in the back and I saw my best friend, Stephanie and her husband, Josh were there, but I don't really remember all the other people who were there. Um, and as my mom was walking forward, I closed my eyes and I went to sleep for just a few seconds. And when I woke up from the few seconds of rest, um, I asked my mom, Steve's dead, isn't he? And she said, yeah, uh, how, how do you know? Because at this point, they didn't want to tell me. They were trying to figure out when to tell me because I was very, very unstable. They didn't believe that I was going to survive. They had done multiple surgeries and they also were very concerned about my baby and me sustaining the pregnancy and possibly my baby being born too early and then her not surviving. So with all that, they did not want to add more stress to me. So they were waiting until I was stable enough to receive the news. When I told my mom that Steve had died, she was like, how do you know that? And I told her, well, God just showed me right now. And she's like, what do you mean? What happened when I closed my eyes for those few seconds? The Lord showed me my husband, Steve, in heaven, in this most beautiful, green, lush garden place. And it was so beautiful. And I knew that there, he was not there in his body, but I, my soul recognized him. And I knew that was him. And I could feel all this happiness and joy coming from him. But I was more wanting to look to the right of him because to the right of him, was Jesus. And I could feel his love radiating toward me. And that love was so perfect and so beautiful. Um, I felt so loved during that time. I recognized that Steve had died, but then there was Jesus. And then I came back and I got to tell my family that and whoever else was in the room to listen. And my mom was blown away and my dad was there too. I didn't see him until later. Um, but everyone was like, wow, okay, well, that had to be from the Lord because you didn't even know Steve had died. You didn't even know where you were or what was going on. And so with that, um, the Lord gave me such peace and he gave me such a gift that I was able to also pass on to his parents, Steve's parents and to whoever else was in the room. Um, and uh, so what's going on for you right now? What's that emotion? Um, just remembering and just really sad. <laughs> um, going back there and realizing that he is not going to come back, but also feeling in the exact same moment, that beautiful love from Jesus that I experienced. Everyone in the whole room was so sad. And I didn't fully understand why at that time. Um, I was on so much medication that it was difficult for me to feel. So like I mentally knew that Steve had died. The Lord showed me and I was so grateful for that gift. I felt so loved, but then I also felt sadness that I didn't know how to deal with. 
And I also didn't know what was happening. It felt very surreal. It did not feel real. And so it's all those emotions all together in one. I think it's it's tough when you're going through grief because you can have exactly what you're describing right there, these dueling emotions where you felt this intense grief, but then your faith also gave you this big emotional support where you felt an assurance from God that your husband was okay and in his presence. And I think a lot of people, they think you feel one emotion or the other, but that's a great example of how you can be split between two very contrary emotions. Yeah. Yeah, so many different things going on. And it's hard to really fully understand and know what you are feeling at that moment because there are so many things and the mind is trying to catch up with real the real reality of what has happened. And it's that's a difficult thing also. Um, my mind could not recognize that Steve had died. Every time I would wake up, I would think that he was there and he wasn't. That was jolting. Every single time that I woke up for a while, I don't remember when it went away, but so that was difficult because I would go to bed knowing that he had died, but then my brain would forget and I would wake up and, oh, he's, he's not, he really is not here. I would have dreams of him. So I would wake up and then the grief would just really come because <laughs> then I would wake up and he really wasn't here, but I just saw him in my dream. So that was very, very difficult. Obviously this is a, very difficult part of the story, kind of reliving this moment when he passed away. So this is the beginning stages of your grief that you're going through, finding out all this that has happened. So if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about the immediate grief, the kind of medium grief, and then the kind of long-term grief, what is the difference in your experience with those three different types? So the immediate grief is very overwhelming, but also I would say underwhelming at the same time, because the reason why is because it's, too, it's almost too much to handle. This person that I had always been with every single day, I also worked with, he was part of my life in every way. Um, if we weren't around each other, he would always call me, we would chat. Um, he, he would also make me wait to go to the supermarket until he was home so they could go together. <laughs> um, so we were always together all the time. So then to not have that, to have that sudden ripping apart um, was strange. I didn't, my brain couldn't wrap around it. It was a lot. I could not stop crying. Um, I felt like it was like a shock every time that I woke up, every time I looked over and he wasn't there. Sometimes my brain would think that maybe he's just gone at work and he's to come home. Um, but then it's like, I knew that he wasn't, but still like around dinner time, it's like, oh, well, he didn't come home. So then I would be sad again. So there are like ups and downs and moments where I just could not stop crying. And I, um, I had to take a lot of time also to be separate from my, my parents because I ended up having to move back to California so that my mom and dad could take care of me because at this time, because of my injuries, I could not walk. And um, I was pregnant. And so my mom stayed in Texas with me until I had my daughter. Um, she, praise the Lord, was able to hold on one other month. She was born February 2016 and she was supposed to be born March. So she was, so she was early, but she was four pounds. 
a preemie. They weren't sure how that was going to work out, but she, by the grace of God, is healthy and strong and doing wonderful. So having a baby too without Steve, even though we had planned all that together, um, it's also like another layer of grief of these are the things that we planned and none of it is going to happen. Obviously, I'm still going to have the baby, um, but the way that it was planned can't happen. Like my mom had to be there instead of Steve. And I'm so grateful for my mom, but it's not the same as having my husband there and being able to experience like his joy, the father of our child and our first child together and going through actually get her. And then to think like, oh, I might lose her because of this accident. And then she's fine. And then she was born early. They weren't sure like how that was going to be, how she was going to respond. That was very um, difficult to have to do all those firsts without him. But also I kind of got into like, this is just what has to be done. And so I have to do it. And even that I don't want to, I have to. And so um, I also was dealing with my physical recovery too from the accident. When I had Kate, my water broke naturally, um, but they had to do cesarean because I had a broken pelvis on both sides and my lower spine was broken. And I also had had abdominal surgery from the accident just a month before <laughs> they had to do cesarean and that was fine. It's not what I had planned, but I was completely fine with that because it's what needed to be done. So it kind of got into the mode of what needs to be done. We need to do it. Let's do this. And so I was in the hospital for about a day after Kate had been born. And then my mom brought a picture of Steve and set it up off to the side. And that was overwhelming because at this point I was just doing what needed to be done. And I also had more drugs put into me because they had to do the cesarean. So that also kind of numbs my emotions. And so then when my mom brought the picture of Steve, it was too much. It was too much. I couldn't handle that. So I had to put his picture down for a little bit. I was shocked that when the nurses came in and I was filling out the birth certificate that I was able to write Steve's name. And they're like, well, why wouldn't you write his name? And I was like, I didn't know that I was allowed to because he's not alive. <laughs> so there are always these weird like realizations that you're just trying to figure out and process and go through. And so it was very, very hard, very difficult. Every like new thing brought grief on stronger. So like then I had to leave the hospital. And so that was hard. Then when I got home, my mom drove there. My mom drove up to our house in Texas and she had to drive at this time because I wasn't able to drive. And that was very, very hard. Leaving the hospital was hard and then driving up to the house and seeing that I was ha going to have to go back into the house with our new baby without Steve there was very hard. So I just sat in the car and wept for a while. And my mom didn't, it's hard for the people who are helping you too because they don't know what to do. They want to be very helpful, but they don't know if what they're doing is helpful. So my mom had invited my best friend, Stephanie and Josh over there, but she didn't know if that was a good thing or if that was a bad thing, but she invited them over. So after I was just sitting in the car for a while, just weeping, <laughs> they came out and they were so excited to help me. And I'm so glad that they were there because I love them. And they were the ones that were there right when Steve had died and when I was rushed into the hospital. 
they were able to be there for me when my parents were on a flight flying out to Texas and they were able to be there supporting me um, and loving me for, for that time until my parents had gotten there. So um, we spent uh, time in Texas trying to get rid of the things we needed to get rid of, trying to pack up the things that we needed to pack up, making sure that the doctors checked out that my body was doing okay, that I could travel okay. Um, I was still using a wheelchair and a walker at this time. I had some physical injuries, and so that took a lot of my energy and strength as well. So then I also wanted to nurse Kate, and I was just praising the Lord that I was able to, because so many times with so much medication and whatever, you're not able to, your body just doesn't make enough milk for your baby, but I was making enough, and I was just praising the Lord for that. I was like, okay, finally, something that my body can do to take care of my child. I wasn't able to get pregnant naturally. I wasn't able to have my baby naturally. I wasn't able to have my husband here, but I can finally do something and beat my baby. So I was very grateful for that. And then all of that was overwhelming because Steve should be the one helping me and he should be the one uh, waking up at the middle of the night, taking care of our daughter. And he wasn't able to do that. It was my mom. And again, I'm so grateful for my mom. It's just, it's different than having your husband there. So after we organized everything, got everything put together, we got the okay from my doctors that my body was good. We got the okay from Kate, the doctor, that her body was good. We ended up having a funeral also in Texas for Steve. We did the funeral there because the church that we were part of was asking me if we could honor Steve by doing a funeral there or having a memorial service. And so we did that. Um, Steve's parents stay there for a little while to kind of take care of things on their end um, for me. So I didn't have to. So they took care of cremation for Steve's body. They had taken his body to a place to be investigated because the whole entire accident was under investigation. He had to have an autopsy done. And so he was in like a private area uh, that the police controlled. And so uh, once that was released, we could have his body cremated and Steve's dad took care of that for me. Um, and then once they took care of all those things, he ordered the death certificates and then he was able to fly home with Steve's mom. Um, and so all these little things that you don't know that you're going to have to deal with every single time, it's like these things bring up more grief and more grief. It's just more finalizing that that person is not there. We got the phone call to go pick up Steve's ashes. And so my mom asked if I wanted to come and I did. Like I said, I want to know all the details. I want to know all the things. So I went and I could not walk at this time still. So I sat in the car and Kate was in the car. My mom went inside and she got the ashes and she came back with a little black box. I didn't want something fancy. She said, there's just something interesting, Stephanie. And she pulls out these weird wire rimmed glasses. And she said, the lady was very insistent that these were Steve. And I'm like, hmm, that's weird. He never wore glasses. Okay. And then she said, there's also something very strange. When she pulled his ashes off the shelf, she said, whoa, was he a really heavy guy? Because these are really heavy. And my mom said that she just kind of laughed like, uh, no, he actually was pretty thin. He ran marathons and the lady's like, huh? And she's, my mom said that the lady was very perplexed 
and she kept looking at the name on the box and matching it with our death certificate. <laughs> For me, when my mom was telling me all this, like I was not upset at all. I was like laughing and I told my mom, mom, you have to take those wire rimmed glasses back. She said, but the lady was very insistent that these receipts. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but somebody, I said, do you think we got the wrong ashes? But even so, like somebody is going to wonder where like Uncle Joe's glasses that he always wore, like, where are they? So you have to take them back because they're not Steve's. <laughs> so she did. And that was just very strange <laughs> for me. If they were or were not Steve's ashes, I was just feeling that, you know, obligation of picking up his ashes. Because for me, I knew where Steve was. He's with the Lord. And these ashes are just a byproduct of someone's body dying. And so I was like, okay, maybe they accidentally mixed them up. I don't know. Uh, but give the glasses back. At least they can put them, you know, with Uncle Joe or whatever. So on the way back to our house, I said, Mom, I can't bring these on the plane. Uh, what am I going to do? Like, you kind of need like a special permit to carry body remains, even if they're ashes. So I told my mom, hey, can you turn down this street really quick? Because Steve used to take the dogs here to go swimming all the time. And I hadn't been there with him. I know that he took the dogs here when I was not feeling well. So my mom drove down that road. Kate, again, was in the back. And I couldn't walk still at this time. So I was sitting in the car and my mom took the ashes down to the river and she released them in the river. And I know that had to be very hard for my mom. She came back very sad, <laughs> right where she had released Steve's ashes. The clouds opened up just perfectly. And this ray of sunshine was beaming straight down to the exact spot where Steve's ashes were released. Mm. And it was such a beautiful thing. So dealing with all of the finality parts of Steve dying was very difficult and overwhelming. Um, but also there were some funny times in between there. Um, for me, I'm a very real person. I want to know all the details. And there are some funny things that happen and that's okay. There are ups and downs and um, just take them as they go. So as we were preparing to leave, we had checked all the boxes. The doctor said we were good to go. Kate was good to go. I took care of Steve's ashes. We got the truck all loaded up with all of our stuff so that I could move back to California so my parents could take care of me and also help me with Kate. And so we were able to leave and that was quite a process. My mom and I, we flew with Kate and um, this was March of 2016. So Kate was born in February. We flew back March. I remember flying over Arizona, Nevada area, where kind of near Laughlin area. And that was very difficult because Steve and I, one of the last places we had gone was the lake and we we loved the lake. Steve's family owned a house at the lake. We went there very, very often. Um, we were always on the boat doing things together. And so when I was looking out of the plane window, it was just one more thing. And um, then when we got to California, my mom had to kind of settle me in. 
my dad was fixing up their office to be an actual bedroom because that's the only room that was downstairs. The rest was upstairs. And then I also had to start physical therapy. And there also was a court case going on because the man that hit us, he was intoxicated. So I found out that through all this, like grief is very overwhelming in the beginning, even in the middle, it goes away. You can, you have more skills to deal with it. Um, And even though it's been from 2016 to now, 2022, there's still very hard moments and still hard times when grief comes over. And sometimes I don't even recognize that it's grief that's causing me so much sadness. And then I look at the calendar and I say, oh, it's because there's an event coming up or there's a celebration coming up or Steve's birthday is coming up or it could be really anything, something new, Kate starting kindergarten, um, sometimes things that I wouldn't even think of. And then I think, oh, there's not even anything on the calendar. I'm just really sad because I miss my my husband, Steve. And, um, but then to just be okay and to say, okay, that's okay. But what are we going to do to make sure that it doesn't turn into something that is going to start controlling my life? And from the very beginning, I didn't want this grief to control my life. But I also didn't want to diminish it in any way either. I wanted there to be some type of balance. For me, I had full confidence that the Lord's promises are true. And he showed me that by showing me Steve in heaven. And he continued to wash over me, his spirit, and Realized that when I was not focusing on the Lord and his promises that he had for me, that I would start believing more lies about myself and who I was. And also then the grief would start becoming very overwhelming to where I just super, super sad. So I would, in my mind, I would say, you can't remain here. So I would get up, you know, tell myself I have to go for a walk outside because the tendency was, I don't want anyone to be by me. I don't want anyone to be near me. I just want to be alone. I don't want anyone to talk to me. I don't want any questions asked of me. I don't want to have any responsibilities. I don't want to do anything. I just want to be alone and I want to be here by myself. And to be very honest, I didn't want to even be here on this earth anymore. (laughs) I didn't plan a life without Steve. We planned our life together. And so I could not see my life in the future. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had this beautiful baby girl and I wanted to be the best mom for her. But then simultaneously, I also did not want to be present here in in this world. I was not contemplating suicide at all. I was not wanting to just die, but I also didn't want to be alive. Um, because it was too painful it was too hard and I wanted to be with Jesus because I know that the promise is true that my hope is in him and I was waiting for him to come back and take away this pain (laughs) and so come on Jesus you gotta hurry up because I'm done now I'm done I'm done with these trials I'm, I'm done with this world so that's where my mind was But also I had to 
again, focus on the things that needed to be done. I had a newborn. I had to take care of her. There were a lot of needs that needed to be met by her. I also had to take care of myself. I was learning how to walk. I did not want to use a walker anymore. And so I was going to physical therapy three times a week for about three hours each time. So my mom had to take care of my daughter during that time. Um, and whenever I needed help, my mom was always there to help me. Um, but that was hard too, because my mind says I should be able to take care of my daughter, but my body is telling me, you can't, you can barely walk. You need assistance to use the restroom. And that was very hard. And my body would not work or move how it used to. So I had to learn how to get stronger and how to get better and to be patient. And so that brought some anger in me through the grief as well. So for me, I had to make sure that I was taking care of myself, taking care of my baby. But then I also didn't want my mom to have to see me in such pain because I saw how much pain it caused her. So I tried to also then hold myself together and then cry when she was not around. Or when my dad would come home from work, I didn't want him to see his daughter in so much pain. And so that was hard. Um, it was also overwhelming because when something like this happens, people want to see you. And I didn't want to see anybody. Even when I was in Texas and I couldn't even walk and I had to just lay in my bed. Um, people that I didn't even know that attended the church, they wanted to see me and I didn't know them. Um, my mom didn't know that I didn't know them because of how forceful they were in needing to see me and needing to see Kate. And that was very, very overwhelming. Um, I would say that I'm a private person to a certain point, but also this tragedy just happened and it it was too much for me to handle and then to feel that I had to entertain people when I didn't want to that was very difficult and it wasn't people just coming and sitting down with me and just sitting there it was people wanting to have conversations with me people wanting to hold Kate people wanting to tell me all of their problems people wanting to help in ways that they felt were helpful but were not helpful to me uh, by giving advice by bringing certain gifts and if I told them I just can't see anybody today or whatever they would be hurt and upset and that happened in Texas with people I didn't really know um, and that happened even in California with people that I did know. So I think one thing that's important for people to hear is that even though you're the one who needs support, sometimes well-meaning people can still be selfish Yes. with the grief that you're going through. Yes. So many people would come and say, I know exactly what you're going through. This happened in my life. And I was thinking in my mind, okay, well, at this moment, I do not have compassion for you. <laughs> because I barely have enough energy to get dressed in the morning because I'm emotionally and physically exhausted. Um, and I also have to take care of my newborn. So to have you now tell me all about 
all about your stories and all the things that you have gone through. Um, I felt that that happened very often. Uh, well, I know exactly what you're going through. Um, you know, I, I, this happened to me or this happened to me. And um, at that moment, I didn't need people to tell me all those things. I needed people to just be present. And if they wanted to visit, then um, they needed to just be present with me. I think it's because people don't know how to deal with death and they don't know what's helpful. Something that one of my friends said, she had a son who died from a brain aneurysm when he was about 21 years old and she found him the next morning. She told me to give people grace anyways, because people are going to say some really terrible things and to still give them grace anyways. And I was very glad that she wrote me that in a letter and told me that because I didn't expect that. I didn't know that. And so she was absolutely right, though. People say some things that are just rude. Um, they want you to hurry along in your grief. They don't understand. And so they don't feel that you should be so sad all the time or that you're doing it in a way that they wouldn't do it. And then um, with the court case, the guy that hit us, he still was not arrested yet. It took them a year to arrest him. And then it took them two years to have him go before a judge. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time as we continue part two of Stephanie's story. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.